We acted because the consequences of AIG failing would have been catastrophic for our economy and for American families and businesses. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm David Cheech Kestenbaum. And I'm Alex Chong Bloomberg. Today is Wednesday, January 27th. That was Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner. You heard at the top of this podcast, as you've heard at the top of many podcasts. He was testifying before Congress about the bailout of AIG. Our topic today, David, is tied to our economic indicator. The indicator is $14 billion. And that is one estimate for the size of California's largest cash crop. Oranges? Nope. Organic milk? <laughs> no. Marijuana. thought that number seemed high. I'd say that, that that is just one estimate. Um, it comes from a report in the Bulletin for Cannabis Reform. You know it well. But It's my favorite bulletin. <laughs> Sorry. It's my favorite cannabis-related bulletin. I'm just trying to make the point that pot is a significant industry. I mean, I, I don't know what part of GDP it is, all right? But mm-hmm. look, I read an actual news story by a real reporter today about how the city of Los Angeles is voting to shut down a lot of the stores selling medical marijuana. And the story said there were about 1,000 stores selling pot just in Los Angeles. Now, David, I know that you've had marijuana as one of your Google alerts for a long time now, and I'm not going to ask questions about that. But you actually did get into this. There's a legitimate economic reason that you're interested in the story recently. You know, I read the story about how the governor of New Jersey this month signed into law a medical marijuana bill, and New Jersey is like the 14th state to pass one. And it mentioned something about how the state was going to help set the price. And I just started thinking, like, what what happens to the price of drugs that are illegal when they become legal? Like, do they go up? Do they go down? And um, I found someone who knows about these things. He's an economist, and he even works at a place you've heard of. Jeffrey Myron, senior lecturer in the Department of Economics at Harvard University. And the paper we're going to talk about, it was actually published in a real journal. Yeah, I was happy. I was very happy about that. (laughs) It's uh, the Review of Economics and Statistics. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So you've got a a Harvard researcher in a peer-reviewed journal talking about um, the price of marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, (laughs) The the, the question is really like how much would marijuana cost if it got totally legalized? Because there's this argument out there that if you legalize drugs, they will get really cheap. I mean, for marijuana, right? It's just a stupid plant. You know, how much can it cost to grow a plant, right? It should be like lettuce or something. Right. And actually, it doesn't matter which side of the legalization debate you are on. Both sides make this argument that if you legalize drugs, they will get cheaper. And it makes some sense. Say you're a drug dealer sneaking cocaine into Miami. You need fast boats. You need maybe a helicopter. You need guns, thugs, money for bribes. And all that, of course, adds up. Plus, if you have enough guns, maybe you have a monopoly and you can jack up the price even more. Yeah, it totally makes sense, right? And there are numbers out there saying that if you make drugs like heroin or cocaine or pot legal, the price will plunge. It'll go way down. And some people say it'll go down like, you know, a factor of 100 or 1,000. Wow. So if it costs, I don't know. $1,000 an ounce? I have no idea. It would cost a dollar an ounce or something. (laughs) Way on sale. Everything is on sale. So both sides make this argument. And the people who want to keep pot illegal say, you know, it's going to get cheaper, and that's bad because more people will end up using it if it's cheaper. And, of course, the people who want to legalize pot say, dude, exactly. <laughs> Make it cheaper. I can do more drugs. Yeah, it's making me bankrupt, right? Right, exactly. Right. So Jeffrey Myron, he actually thought these claims 
they were wrong. He says there's no way making drugs legal will bring the prices down by you know a, a thousand times. And so how does he know? He decided to compare the markups for marijuana, cocaine, and heroin with other stuff. I went and got data for a bunch of legal products like coffee, uh, chocolate, uh, potato chips, tobacco, a number of things that are produced as an agricultural product on a farm. You can get the farm gate price, the price of the raw materials as they leave the farm. Right. And we can compare it to the retail price uh, at which it's sold in stores to consumers. And these are all legal? Potato chips, totally legal? These are all legal. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking at your paper here. Actually, you write that there's an, if I go buy a candy bar, milk chocolate at the corner store, it's an 88, uh, 88 times markup or 88%? 88 times. 88 times, so 8,800%? That's right. But of course, think about all the time and effort it would take you to actually sort of live in a climate that will support the cultivation of cocoa beans and to go through all the steps and culturing them and curing them so that they can be made into chocolate. Yeah, whatever. But 88? That's that's a huge markup. We're not talking double. 88 times. I, I agree, but uh, you know, I, that's why I looked at lots and lots of different products because if you, uh, there, there are other things that might be going on that make it a little messy. So I wanted to see if it were true generally that we take goods that start as a net life as an agricultural product from some farm and they end up as some highly processed, refined consumer product. We see these big changes, these big markups, and we found very consistently that you did. Now, there was, as you know, there's a big range. You know, sometimes it was 50, sometimes it was 200. A few cases it was four or 500. So that suggests that just because we see that big markup for coca or heroin, it doesn't prove that price would fall by 1,000 to 1. I mean, when you study economics, you know, one of the things you learn is that in a competitive market, no one's supposed to be making a lot of money. And pretty quickly, the price should be driven down to, you know, close to the minimum, right? Um, But there's still this huge markup for these these products. Why? Why is that? What are the things that go into that? Well, there's lots of different steps that go into getting it from the farm gate to getting it to the retail. There's the transportation cost, there are insurance costs, there's distribution cost of having a lot of stores or middlemen who are willing to take your product and then distribute it out to the retail stores. There's advertising in most in the cases of most of these products. And there are all sorts of other things that you and I probably don't even really think about because we're not in the business of actually making these goods, but all sorts of little things that add to the cost. So suppose we compare illegal drugs to, you know, potato chips, coffee, chocolate. How does the markup compare? You've just told me that it actually is a large markup for ordinary things. How does that compare to the markup for illegal drugs? So we find that the markup for illegal drugs indeed seems to be higher, significantly higher than those for legal products. But if you use the legal products as a benchmark, I think you'd come to the conclusion that cocaine roughly is probably two to five times more expensive now than it would be in a legal market. Heroin you know, even much more. It may be 15 to 20 times more expensive than it would be in a legal market. So the general conclusion that prices would drop substantially is correct. My claim is mainly that it has been way overstated by how much it would drop. Alex, you know what I love about this? It gets at that question of like why anything costs what it costs. You know, when you look at something in the store, like what is in that price tag? I have to say I'm still surprised that the market for illegal drugs isn't worse, though. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine, like, let's say chocolate chip cookies. Imagine they were illegal, and you had to get them in from Canada, and you had to sneak them across the border, and you had to create a false bottom in some truck and fill it with fake products to throw off the customs inspectors. And then you had to trust whoever drives that truck isn't going to disappear with all your cookies. I mean, I know. The cookies would be very, very expensive. A lot of overhead. Yeah, a lot of overhead. So, I mean, I asked Jeffrey Myron about that, and, and he said, well, you know, there are a couple of things going on. One is that, you know, the drug enforcement agents may not be as good as you think they are at making things hard for the drug dealers. The enforcement authorities may not be very effective at trying to drive up the cost. You know, the enforcement authorities are government officials who have their hearts in the right place, and yet their livelihoods are not necessarily dependent on being successful. If, in fact, the prices don't really get driven up that much, they don't necessarily lose their jobs. It's not their businesses that they're attending. So, you know, I'm sort of, I'm a libertarian. I tend not to think of government as being especially competent at things that it does, and this may be one more example of that. So they just are not very adept. And the traffickers have a strong incentive to be cleverer than the law enforcement. And so they think of clever ways. If the police uh, interdict one way of getting stuff into the country, they land routes, then the traffickers find sea routes or air routes and things like that. Uh, So I think that's the key reason. The second is that there's just zillions of people out there in the country who are looking to make a profit. If there were really significant profits, then we would see uh, people move into that industry to try to compete away those profits. And that's true in an underground market as much as in an above ground market. In other words, if I were overcharging for my heroin in Baltimore, uh, there's probably going to be some competition and someone's going to try and undercut my prices it and steal, steal my uh, That's right. People are going to go up to Philadelphia where it's a little cheaper and bring it back down and arbitrage away that excess of price that maybe is occurring in Baltimore. I saw that on the wire. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, What a great show. There's another component that if I'm if I'm bringing in heroin and cocaine illegally, I don't have to pay taxes. So it's going to be so I'm saving money that way. Another potentially significant reason, and one I sort of documented in my own research, is that if you're a legal supplier, then you are likely going to comply with a whole set of cost-increasing policies, taxes, uh, laws against using child labor, environmental regulation, OSHA regulation, a whole bunch of things. If you're a black market supplier, you're already evading the law. You're already hiding your activities from the police, so you're not going to bother to comply with all those things. So it's a very simple example. There's tons of underage labor that's utilized in the illegal drug industry, If you run a McDonald's, you don't do that because you'd get caught and you'd pay a fine for using underage labor. But if you're a cocaine trafficker, you might as well use the cheapest labor you can get. And that might mean 10 or 12-year-olds. I see. So that's another reason why black market prices might not be as high as you think because they're saving money in all these other ways. They're They're saving money by not paying taxes and complying with all sorts of regulations. I love uh, – well, first of all, I love how economists find a way to get words like arbitrage into any conversation. <laughs> but I also love how, like, actually there's all these factors at work that actually make illegal drugs cheaper than legal drugs. <laughs> it I could, never it thought about you could legalize that. it. Then, yeah, the price is going to go up because, because yeah, you have, yeah, like yeah. – yeah. um, the, the paper's pretty great. I mean, it's just interesting to see this intersection of these two topics, you know, because it's an economic paper, but in the middle of it, he lists the steps you need to make cocaine to kind of add up the pieces. One, raw coca leaves are picked by hand, dried in sun and marketed. Two, dried coca leaves are mashed with water and sulfuric acid. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, um, he says that this, you know, what he thinks is false argument about how much prices would drop. Um, it's made by both sides of the legalization debate. But there is this other economic argument, and it's just made by one side, and he says it's also wrong. It's an argument the pro-legalization side makes, the side that wants to make marijuana and drugs legal. And the argument is, hey, legalize pot because 
it will make the government money. You're going to save all this money on law enforcement and put a tax on it. You know, And actually, there's a bill in California right now that would legalize pot and tax it. The argument you know, has a sort of good history because that's one of the main arguments made for uh, repealing prohibition in the 1930s, partially because U.S. didn't have much experience with income taxes at that point. The rates were very low. So if you're going to tax something, there was one wanted to go back to taxing alcohol. Really? It was financial? Uh, I, did, I didn't know that. That was one, that and the crime. Those were the two arguments that people made. I see. Okay, and, and the Great Depression. It wasn't that wasn't this is clear. crazy. It wasn't that this is crazy. It's just alcohol. People like to drink. It's all right. Well, people have been making those arguments all along. Um, but what changed was the crime rate soared, you know, all the Al Capone stuff. The Great Depression seemed to created, they thought, a need to raise more taxes. Of course, that's backwards from the standard <laughs> Keynesian view. But at the time, they thought that raising taxes and balancing the budget was a good idea. Uh-huh. And one of the arguments that had been made for alcohol prohibition was it would guarantee, prospe- for, yeah, was it guarantee prosperity. And so this big downturn by, that was pretty obvious by 31, 32, okay, made it seem unlikely that prohibition was, in fact, guaranteeing prosperity. Because it would because it would end uh, addiction and uh, and addiction it would prevent uh, it would end workplace accidents it would more just more broad it would end people coming to jobs okay under the influence of alcohol or going out at lunch and drinking to a lot of beer and coming back and not being productive in the workplace well so that so, was so, one of the big arguments that so, was made so, for alcohol prohibition so one of the big arguments made for prohibition was economic was that we'll get an economic yeah. boost from this it'll save lives and then one of the arguments made for getting rid of prohibition was also economic which is that hey this is going on it's expensive to to try and uh, stop it from happening and uh, and we could tax it that's right that's exactly <laughs> right I'd never had you heard those arguments. No, I didn't. No. So anyway, so so the claim is that now is that legalizing pot in California and taxing it will raise one point three billion dollars, which the government of California desperately needs. You know, we're constantly hearing about the budget crisis there. Um, but Myron says when he does the math, he gets a much smaller number than one point three billion. But my numbers are like an order of magnitude smaller. A fact, than the ten times smaller. Well, yeah, one tenth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Than the numbers these guys come up with. And it makes me very nervous because, one, I just think it's, it's – I think it's going to be bad to look as though they sold the public a bill of goods, to claim it's going to raise a billion dollars and, in fact, raises $100 million. Now, $100 million isn't nothing, but compared to the size of the California budget deficit, it is it's nothing, pretty actually. much <laughs> rounding error. Right. It's pretty much nothing. My estimate for the whole U.S. adding together federal and state okay, entirely okay, is – only about $75 billion. And that's from full legalization of the, you know, every single drug. So again, $75 billion compared to our budget deficits, you know, maybe it's not irrelevant, but it's pretty small. What, what, why, is, why is their number 10 times larger than yours? Why do they say it'll, it'll save in California, it'll raise a billion dollars in California, and you say only $100 million? Um, in, in essence, their estimate of the size of the industry is much, much bigger than mine. So I relied on one particular source for the size of the industry, and I relied on it for two reasons. First is that it's a government source. It's a study commissioned by the ONDCP, Drug Czar's office. And so that made it sort of relatively immune to criticism from the prohibitionists. They can't say, oh, you used our number. How dare you use our number? We know our numbers are, are garbage. You know, that would... and, but secondly, the methodology seemed pretty reasonable to me. 
And it implies an, an industry that's you know, maybe somewhat smaller than the tobacco or alcohol industries, but roughly in that ballpark. And that seems imaginable to me. The numbers that these, some of these other guys have come up with imply that the legalized marijuana industry would be you know, two, five, ten times the size of the current alcohol tobacco industry in the U.S. It just, to me, doesn't pass a sniff test. Alex, I should point out that Jeff Myron, by the way, he, he is in favor of legalizing drugs. He said he's a libertarian. But um, he, he thinks that because he thinks people should be able to do what they want as long as they're not hurting other people. But he says as an economist, like these numbers just bug him. The numbers being thrown around really bug him. They seem wrong to him. So he feels the need to set the record straight. He says you can argue for legalizing marijuana, but don't say it's going to make us a lot of money. Right. And it's fairly compelling that they're arguing that that the size of the marijuana industry is 10 times larger or five times larger than all alcohol. That seems pretty fishy to me. Dave, I I have just one more question, though. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. I asked it. What's your favorite drug? Uh, My favorite drug is uh, sapphire gin. (laughs) I don't touch any of the other drugs. I mean, I, you know, did the standard youthful experimentation, but one just didn't appeal. No, I did inhale, but I didn't actually enjoy the high. I enjoyed, I mean, I think it's partially experience. You know, I know how to titrate how much alcohol I consume. I know exactly when I feel just, you know, mildly relaxed, and that's that's great. And so marijuana just did, I tell you a funny story. It didn't make me, it made me feel a way I didn't know how to control or wasn't used to or didn't. Uh, know what to do with. So I was at this drug policy conference. There was a bunch of academics, and one guy at the table for dinner was the head of a treatment center in New York City, a Phoenix house, a very famous treatment center. And everybody basically had the same story. Yeah, in college, I tried it a few times, but I didn't really like it, but I'd, I'd much rather have a drink. And it got to this guy who was the treatment guy, and he said, yeah, you guys all fit the standard pattern. He says, you're all these type A academics. You want to be in control of everything. Type A's don't like marijuana so much. What you guys really need is heroin. <laughs> because when you take heroin, you feel like nothing is a problem. You can handle anything. And so ever since he said that, I've been intrigued. <laughs> and the day it was, became legal, I would try it. But uh, I don't do any of that stuff now. Uh, Alex, you want to know what my favorite drug is? What's your favorite drug? Baby aspirin. <laughs> I like a multivitamin. <laughs> I guess that does it for us today. Let us know what you, all of you listeners out there, pay for your marijuana uh, in those legal clinics, of course. And uh, if you know, tell us how it compares to the street price where you are. Send us all of that um, to totally anonymous, planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Alex Bloomer. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. <laughs>